Trip Alper and the Team on Brass. Of course, this is Stooley. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Tuesday edition of Fangraphs Audio, turns out, is not Dave Cameron. This is not Dave Cameron making his weekly appearance on Fangraphs Audio because uh, currently managing editor Dave Cameron is enjoying a pleasure vacation. Uh, it appears to be enjoying a pleasure vacation with his wife um, somewhere in the mid-Atlantic states. Somewhere in one of the mid-Atlantic states. That can be confirmed. Which particular state uh, is no matter. Uh, in fact, the guest on this edition is a uh, what I'll call a reasonable substitute, right? Not not he's not Dave Cameron, uh, but he's not a complete letdown so far as guests go. It's Jeff Sullivan, uh, another full-time employee at Fangraphs uh, and a favorite among uh, those readers who enjoy semi-whimsical posts without conclusions. So there you go. And uh, not unlike those posts uh, is also this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. If you're looking for hardcore baseball analysis, definitely you're not going to get it. But if you're looking for softcore baseball analysis, go to like maybe minute 17, right? Maybe, maybe minute 19 or 17 or 19. And that's where it begins. Up till then, uh, there is some serious talk. You may or may not know that Jeff Sullivan, uh, contributor to Fangraphs, Jeff Sullivan, is a is an enthusiast uh, is a volcano enthusiast and uh, is is one with some manner of expertise as well and uh, I ask him about the volcano eruption as it's represented the, the one in Iceland as it's represented uh, in recent uh, giant Hollywood film uh, the dream life or the secret life of Walter Mitty I actually uh, allow me to be irritating for a second and saying that because I live in France. I don't know what it's called in the United States. I know that here it's called, it translates to the dream life of Walter Mitty, but maybe it's also the secret life of Walter Mitty. One or the other, a, vo- a volcanic eruption is represented in that film, and I asked Jeff Sullivan, do you, do you think that that is a r- realistic depiction of that? Otherwise, we look at Carlos Santana at third base. Uh, we look at the Milwaukee Brewers first base situation and how regardless of what happens, it'll likely be different and better than uh, their their first base situation last year, uh, during which they were uh, a negative five war contingent. We get a oh uh, starting we get a we get a, a Tanaka a Masahiro Tanaka status update. He's met with a couple teams. There are maybe some offers from uh, some of those teams. That's one thing. And also uh, we discuss ball caps. We don't conclude anything about them though. So there you go. It is uh, it is Jeff Sullivan. It's also Fangraphs Audio, and it begins. Right now. All right. Yeah. Uh, you hit record, and now this is being recorded. It is. Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. So what do you got? What do you got? What do you got, Carson? Well, I'm actually. Uh, I got. I got. I got a bunch of things for you. First, I want to tell you. Um, Jeff, I don't want you, I don't want you just to think of yourself as just a substitute for Dave Cameron. I don't. I don't want you to think that I just, the, the only reason I invited you onto the podcast is just because Dave Cameron wasn't available and I just looked around and said, who else, like who, who is available? That's not why you're here. Yeah, no, I, don't, I don't know why I would think that. I don't know. I didn't think that, uh, the last time that I was used as a substitute for Dave Cameron. Which was the last time I was on this podcast? I, I just, I'm just saying, I don't want you to enter it to like enter into it like that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm, 
Okay. But, uh, I'll just make myself an uninteresting guest. Uh, <laughs> and I will, as such, I will allow you to, uh, to never have to do this again yeah. until Dave goes on a skiing vacation in a year. Yeah. Well, what, just do what yeah. comes natural to you, Jeff. And if that happens to be, yeah, that is. <laughs> That's being profoundly uninteresting is actually um, what comes naturally. There are baseball me. questions ahead. Um, but this is actually a pressing question. This is actually a question which I haven't been able to ask of you because, um, no, people don't know this, but, um, you and I and other people who are employed in a full-time capacity at Fangraphs, we will have, uh, I'd say on average, a, it's probably a bi-weekly meeting, would you say? Or semi-weekly? Maybe it's semi-weekly? Or are they the same thing? I would, I would say we probably average 2.7 meetings a month. Two points, yeah, right. Uh, and I, I always look forward to the Thursday email of no meeting! Oh, I know. That's a good email. That's a good email to get. Because, yeah, yeah, it means I have an extra hour and a half in my day. Yeah, right. And but so we, do, we really hit this not good. So, so this is actually the thing I have to ask you. Um, for as meandering as those particular as those conversations are, oh, sorry, I actually have to adjust the level here. For as meandering as those those conversations are, it um, this is even this was not appropriate. Because it would be too off topic, uh, so far as the meetings are concerned. But I recently. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna pose a guess. Yeah. Did you recently see the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Yeah. The Secret Life or Dream Life? Which, what is it, what is it called there? Uh, in the States, it's The Secret Life, I believe. Uh, and I also saw it a week ago. And so this is going to be a question about Icelandic volcanoes, is it not? Yeah, right. Oh, so you, you, you've seen it then? Uh, yeah, you've yeah, seen uh, I, okay. I've seen the movie. I, it was enjoyable. I saw it two Sundays ago. It was not as good as this Sunday's viewing experience, but last Sunday's was uh, pleasing as well. Well, what'd you see? What'd you see this Sunday? Well, this Sunday was the Seahawks beat the Forty ers Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's nice too. That's good for you. Yeah, yeah they have. A- yeah, that was, it's very, it's very good for some of the the readership, and very, very much not. Good for a similarly sized uh, part of the readership. Right, but I'm saying for you, you you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good to go out and see it in Portland. Uh, if you just go to a sports bar in Portland, because this this city is torn. Ordinarily, like during baseball season, Portland should be torn between the Mariners and the Giants, but the Mariners suck, so nobody cares. But in football, when you have both teams who are good, then it's like 50-50 split right in the middle, and it's weird to be in the city when it's passionate about sports. Uh, because generally, it's a sport. It's a it's a town that's not passionate about sports. I think it's a city that it is, especially with the uh, the Trailblazers are ha- apparently having a very good year, and they care a lot about the Timbers. But people don't automatically associate Portland with sports. I think they probably associate Portland with being sort of anti-sports, in that sports are a very sort of jockey interest, even among the Fangraphs audience. And Portland is very much not a jockey kind of town. But those people all come from somewhere. In fact, uh, people from Portland. Um, come from somewhere, and a lot of times that somewhere is not Portland. Yeah, no, I always <laughs> like uh, the question that people ask me when they first meet me, like, oh, are you from Portland? And I I haven't perfected the look to give them that conveys, no, I apologize, I'm from California like everybody else, like probably you, <laughs> and we don't need to have this conversation. Yeah, let's stop right now. We're just we're just <laughs> embarrassing ourselves. Um, well, okay, so yeah, so you're you're exactly right. My question is about Icelandic volcanoes. Um, there is the, um, and there, and there are some sort of like, there's some sort of quiet jokes about this volcano, first of all, because the, the name of it is uh, very difficult to the, well, maybe to other tongues as well, but certainly to the English speaking tongue. Do you, could, do you have a correct yes. pronunciation on hand? 
I, I can try. It might take a few tries because I, I stumble over words and I haven't spoken all day. But uh, yeah, Fiatioko might be my best guess. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds a lot. I mean, that's a lot better than I could. Have done. And this is this this erupted in 2010. I believe it was 2010, and then there's Grimsvitten in 2011, and I think that about covers it for significant Icelandic eruptions of the last four years. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, it's yeah. I mean, that's pretty good for the size of the country because it's not very big. Yeah, no, it's not. But it, the whole thing is basically a volcano, so you know it's going. It's a it's a it's a busy place. It's a restless sleeper, if that's yeah, an expression, which it so, is not. So like uh, so there's a there are like a couple scenes, um, uh, strewn together that di- that sort of directly concern. And the reason I'm asking you, I should say, for for listeners who don't know, is um, Jeff is, I would say, you're a student um, of uh, of volcanoes. Uh, not not in the sense that you are enrolled in a class specifically, but um, that some of the time you do not dedicate to baseball analysis. Um, you you dedicate to the um, to reading and learning more about volcanoes. I, I would I would say maybe that as a Mariners fan, I've had to seek out uh, explosiveness. Uh, elsewhere, <laughs> and so that is where I found it is within the earth. Okay, yeah, very good. Um, yeah, th- this is sort of a, a very primordial sort of explosiveness. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, but there's, now, there's other kinds of explosiveness one could also seek out, but we won't. Did you? Yeah. So the so the uh, and so part of Walter Mitty's journey uh, finds him in Iceland, I guess, uh, very much in proximity of the aforementioned volcano. Like as it's about to explode, and and so there's this sort of leading up to it when uh, he meets, uh, you know, an, an older guy in the area who's packing up quickly because this guy knows that the mountain's about to expl- or you know the volcano's about to erupt, and then there's also the um, there's actually sort of you know digitally enhanced footage of the volcano erupting, and I'm curious as to relative to what. You know of eruptions and how they work, leading up both leading up to them and when they actually erupt. Is um, how, how realistic is the is the depiction of it in, in in Walter Mitty? So I was, well, what I don't want to do is talk in too much detail about a movie that people might not have seen because I think it's I don't know when it came out. I don't really see movies, but just given that this is a fairly minor thing in the grand scheme of of the movie, I was somewhat, uh, I guess you could say, troubled by the depiction of the eruption just because. Uh, the mountain you would expect to be under an ice cap, which most Icelandic volcanoes are, if not all of them. And so an eruption would begin underneath the ice cap, which would sort of melt some of the ice, and then it would eventually uh, maybe melt through and then erupt into the air. And as you remember, Yafialioko had, had the big ash trail that shut down flights, etc. But... Uh, what was depicted in the movie, I think, was a pyroclastic flow, which is something that it's like a hot cloud of gas and ash and rocks that sweeps down the mountain's flanks. And those are the real dangerous things. Those are the things that actually kill people. But I I don't know for certain if this particular volcano generates pyroclastic flows. I don't know if there are towns nearby. And what you would expect when you have a volcano that erupts under an ice cap is that water melts because, of course, volcanoes are hot, especially when stuff is coming out of them. And then uh, the heat will melt the ice, and then the water will kind of collect within the ice cap until you have uh, too much water, maybe too much heat, and it bursts open. And you get these, uh, they're called, in America, they're called glacial floods, 
but in Iceland, I don't know how this is quite pronounced, but I think it's uh, Jokelhops, uh, something along the those lines. And it just refers to this, this glacier flood of water, this torrent coming down from the mountain. And so you would, instead of having this like Dante's Peak-like cloud of ash and, and gas and horrible things that you would just have this flood that collects mud and rocks and, and buries you that way. So so pyroclastic flow is that that's kind of what like in a, the Hollywood and not just this film but that's sort of like when one imagines when a layperson imagines a volcano erupting pyroclastic flow is that sort of like the that's the um uh, what the the lava or magma um like flowing down the side of the mountain and the ash bursting from the top of it etc also uh so you have the uh, the ash column, which I think is somewhat self-explanatory. That's the column that goes up in the air, and then mm-hmm. it goes, depending on the magnitude of the eruption, it can go even tens of kilometers. And you have like a lava flow, which is just a lava flow. It's just a very slow ooze of basically the volcanic syrup that goes down the mound and never really hurts anybody because it's so slow. And then you have the pyroclastic flows, which have, did you ever see Dante's Peak? I never did. No, but like. Would this have been the same thing that would have happened with um, Mount St. Helens when it erupted? Uh, Mount St. Helens did have uh, pyroclastic flows. It was sort of uh, complicated by the fact that half the mountain fell off, and so it was just kind of a giant landslide. But yeah, that was that was a series of pyroclastic flows that sort of devastated the entire landscape around it. And so if you if you're looking at a volcano, say, and it's erupting, and then you have this like lateral like bulbous cloud that is approaching you at speeds of like 60 kilometers an hour or whatnot, that is a pyroclastic flow. And if you look at pictures of like a Cinnabung, it's erupting right now in Indonesia, there are a lot of pictures of pyroclastic flows coming down the flanks. And those are the really, really dangerous bits. Uh, those are what can overrun you. They're very difficult to outdrive, uh, for example, uh, in in the movie, we saw him driving faster than one of these. Which right, this is in Walter Mitty. Right, that's that's one of the yeah. things that happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it the power cluster flows are just these superheated clouds of ash gas that blow laterally and down the slope. They don't go up, and they're not slow. You said there's a Cinnabon erupting in Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it's a. And it's not – ordinarily, it is one who erupts after frequenting a Cinnabon. It's usually not the Cinnabon itself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that is, that, is a, uh, that is a joke about evacuations. And speaking of evacuations, <laughs> uh, Cinnabon. That's good, Jeff Sullivan. That's good work. That's, that's yeah. podcast gold right there. <laughs> Cinnabon. Uh, Cinnabon. the G. And it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a volcano that has caused the permanent evacuation of some tens of thousands of uh, farmers and villagers in Indonesia – and it's currently uh, a significant event on the other side of the world that is threatening many. And um, how how often do, do this sort of pyroclastic um, sorts of eruptions occur? Uh, it's sort of not every eruption will cause one. Of course, eruptions have different magnitudes. But uh, I would say if you have an eruption of what one would consider a considerable size, then you can probably expect some pyroclastic flows. But they usually only stray within a few kilometers from the mountain, especially if you have some terrain in the way, like valleys and other peaks. Uh, so the real hazard, especially in maybe poorer countries, is that people will develop on the flanks of volcanoes because the volcanic terrain is really, really good uh, for farming because it's just rich in minerals. It's Volcanoes sort of power the earth. But... The danger of 
of building on the volcano is that sometimes the volcano gets mad and it burps. <laughs> and when the volcanoes burp, it is of a much grander scale than uh, your uncle. And so if you, the closer you get, the more danger you're in. And so, you know, there's Mount Rainier is threatening some people right now and Glacier Peak, et cetera. Washington has got some problems of its own. Right, and that, yeah, that would be uh, – well, of course, um, people who listen to baseball podcasts are also probably people who live in the United States, and generally speaking, not exclusively. Yeah, um, and people but, who listen to baseball podcasts are currently listening to this podcast about <laughs> volcanoes on uh, on. Well, this is what happens when Dave Cameron them. takes a week off. It's, his, it's really his well, fault. Well, to then, I would, I would like to apologize first, but also not because literally nothing has happened. Uh, since I think your last podcast with Dave Cameron. Well, I will say uh, this. I say I, I, I can't guarantee it, but my guess is that I've included a disclaimer at the beginning of this edition of the podcast to say like, <laughs> uh, skip to minute 15 or whatever if you're interested in, in baseball talk. Or, you yeah. know, uh, off-season talk. Uh, but so, I think also so, people, um, what? <laughs> no, no, please, please proceed. People who, people who will have seen your name attached to it. My guess is a fair number of them will know that this is not something that's impossible to, to have occurred. Uh, what volcano, I fear is that I would call him, call him a professional acquaintance, sort of a Twitter friend. His name is Eric Clemetti. He's a, a geo, an earth sciences professor at a, at a college in Ohio. And my fear is that he will listen to the first 10 minutes of this and, and identify all of the things that I got wrong uh, as a professor who actually is experienced and trained in matters of the volcanic sciences, and so hopefully he skips ahead. Well, I don't. Or does not pay attention. Yeah, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think you've claimed. I don't think you've claimed at any point to be an expert, but uh, I just know that you that you're excited about volcanoes and that you would uh, that you would know this sort of thing. Very much, yeah. Okay. They, right. they dwarf us in in many ways. They are much more spectacular than anything humans can achieve. Oh well, it's for, you know, that's for me. Isn't that a fact? Um, let's see. I have, uh, some topics here. Some of the concern bases, uh, bases. Let's nope. see. Uh, no, one of them is, um, what should I look at? Oh yeah. Do, do, is there a Tanaka status update? I know that you, because Dave Cameron's away, you'll be the one who writes up, uh, Tanaka signing if and when he does sign. Um, what is the, what, what is the, the most recent information concerning Tanaka? Also, the hard part, right, is that we don't really know what's true and what's not and maybe who's working behind uh, the the scenes. But the, I think the latest report is that five teams have officially submitted offers, those being the Cubs, the White Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and I think the Diamondbacks were the fifth. And uh, we have no terms of the offers. We have no real confirmation of the offers. This is a report coming out of Japan. But it, all, it makes sense given what we've heard all along for the most part that those are the teams that are in. And you don't know if there's another team that's waiting or maybe another team that has submitted an offer and it hasn't come up because people were connecting the Mariners for a couple of weeks. But it seemed for a long time he's going to go to the Yankees. And so at this point, uh, they're, they're in the mix. And he doesn't have to sign until what? Friday? Friday. Like, uh, pretty much exactly four days from now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and uh, so Friday is the deadline, which is kind of, I don't know if it's very convenient. I mean, people, people, it would be ideal like on a Tuesday, right? Like a Tuesday morning. I mean, I for for whose purposes? I don't know. If like I mean, write about it or read about it. it. Seems like Tuesday morning would be the best. Yeah. Wednesday morning. Uh, well, Tuesday. I, morning. I would say for my if I'm the one who has to do it, not Tuesday morning because I have to have my chat, which always goes too long. But I guess I have to write on Friday anyway, so it's better than a Friday deadline at like 5 p.m. Pacific time because by that point I want to not think about baseball anymore. But if I, I think it's a 
like 1 p.m. Eastern maybe on Friday, which is totally doable because I'll be around anyway and I have to write stuff, so I'll write about Tanaka. That way I don't have to plan ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tanaka, uh, that's great. Yeah. Now, uh, I guess that the, some of them, you, the, Yankee, the Yankees you mentioned, the Red Sox are one of the teams you mentioned, I think. Uh, uh, I don't recall mentioning the Red Sox, but I might have. No, no, you didn't say the Red Sox. Yeah. White Sox, White Sox, Cubs, Yankees, Diamondbacks, Dodgers. So, so the Dodgers and the Yankees are two, probably two most obvious, just in, uh, yeah. because they have the most money. Is the idea? Diamondbacks would be strange. Cubs would be strange. Um, the Cubs have money, but they were not that good last year, and neither were the White Sox. I guess. I mean, do you, yeah, the White Sox are terrible. You, is it more interesting to you if one of those three teams, aka not the Dodgers or not the Yankees, if one of those teams is the team that signs up, that signs uh, Tanaka? I think it would be. It would be fascinating if like the Diamondbacks or the White Sox got them because the White Sox are you know bad mm-hmm. and uh, and not that close. And while the Diamondbacks are good, they're not a team that you expect to outspend a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers, which. Granted, is the very reason I don't think he's going to sign with the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks will focus on other things. But I think that would be interesting because it would also imply that, presuming the Diamondbacks don't go insane, it would imply that the Yankees and Dodgers sort of held up and didn't go as crazy as maybe the market has suggested it will go. Where, if the Diamondbacks get him for like $120 million, that suggests, well, the Yankees and the Dodgers didn't want to pay that much, even though it seemed like a given. So... I wonder to what degree there's really hesitation to sign him and to what degree teams are concerned about the state of his arm um, versus the insanity that I think we were thinking about as recently as a week or two ago. Now, where would I mean, where would Tanaka, if, for example, if the Dodgers sign him? Because the Dodgers have a pretty deep uh, starting rotation already. I mean, they have Dan Heron as their fifth starter. Maybe they have Josh Beckett as their fifth starter, right? Regardless, they have... Kershaw, Grinky, Ryu, those guys aren't going anywhere. Uh, and then, and you know, Heron was Heron was actually pretty good last year. Uh, Beckett was injured for most, if not all, of the season, uh, so maybe there's a question mark there. But it would be hard. It, it would be an unusual maneuver to put uh, to place Beckett in the bullpen. And and so I guess my my question is like, I, I mean, is this just an instance where the Dodgers? I mean, the Dodgers already have like four playable outfielders is this a situation where they recognize that they're probably going to use six starters over the course of the season and so they don't consider it surplus it is it's complicated where it's it's great of course to have rotation depth and there's also i don't remember the status of chad billingsley but he's in there too to some extent and you think you need a rotation depth especially if you have a team like this where you don't know if heron or beckett or billingsley is going to stay healthy and so you could use a starter like Tanaka, but none of those guys is really made to be a reliever, and none of them can be optioned to the minors. So it's like, where do, what do you do in that circumstance? But I think Beckett is coming off a thoracic outlet surgery, and he had a really, really short 2013. And so what would probably happen is that they would just sign Tanaka, and they'd be like, well, this is a weird problem to have, but I guess, oh, no, we have too many good starters, and we we just had another $20 million a year starter. And we'll just put Beckett in the bullpen and go from there because you never know when somebody's going to get hurt. Maybe Heron sucks. Maybe Granky plays basketball again, and you just you deal with it. Uh, but on the face of it, the Dodgers certainly don't seem like the candidate that the Yankees are. The Yankees have a, a wide open opening in the rotation and a ton of money, uh, just as much money if not more. And they need, in their own words, they're looking for another 200 innings uh, to add to that rotation. And so the Yankees seem to make the most sense and. At that point, it's really more of a question of, well, just how badly does Tanaka want to be in the West Coast, really? 
because everybody thought that about Kuroda, and then he left to go to New York. Right. Um, different story, totally different thing, uh, but it involves. Uh, I think it's kind of, kind of interesting, and I think it um, sort of dovetails nicely with your interest in uh, in pitch framing. Um, and there, the, uh, it, it's uh, there have been reports over the last, uh, well, I guess a little bit now, of uh, Carlos Santana, the sometimes catcher, sometimes first baseman, sometimes DH for the Cleveland uh, Indians, uh, playing third base this year. This coming up year, mm-hmm. of course, uh, Cleveland already has Lonnie Chisinau, uh, who has some promise, but has not necessarily realized that promise at the major league level. Whereas Santana has uh, proved that he's been a uh, above average hitter, even as a catcher. And one assumes that moving out from behind the plate can only um, help one's uh, durability, etc. Uh, what do we know? Um, well, first of all, what do we know about Carlos Santana as a catcher? And how this might affect the club to get him out from out behind the plate. And what do we know about um, players moving out from behind the catching spot and moving to a position in the field? Well, so uh, the, what the Indians have behind the plate used to be it was like Santana and Lou Marson, and then Marson wasn't really good, and Santana was sort of a defensive liability. Uh, Santana, at least by some numbers, made some steps forward last year with his receiving and whatnot, but they had a, this breakthrough campaign from Jan Gomes, which I don't know if they were even expecting, but Gomes hit the ball, and he played a really good defense. And, and so at this point, it looks like Gomes is in line to be the starter, and he looks like a good little budget surprising get from the Indians. And then uh, if you're looking for a place to play Santana, third base is interesting because you figure, even though catcher is completely unrelated to all the other positions, uh, especially if you look at like the defensive spectrum or the uh, the positional run values you use in war, where it is catcher's way up there, but it's not like you can. It's not like there are a lot of skills that uh, intuitively translate from behind the plate to being uh, in front of it. But the guy that always comes to my mind when I think about a transition like this is uh, Brandon Inge, where Inge came up as a catcher, and he uh, I think he was a, considered a fairly good defensive catcher, but he couldn't hit for beans, and then the Tigers moved him to third base, and he became one of the greatest defensive third basemen of baseball, if not the greatest for a little stretch there. He was up with like uh, Pedro Feliz and Adrian Beltre and Scott Rowland and such. And so Inge made it happen, so based on a sample size of that guy a decade ago, Santana could totally make it work. And uh, Santana has his own body type, and Inge has his own body type, and so they're very different players, but uh, as much as it's a rare transition, there is at least precedent, and I think at this point we certainly can't criticize the Indians for trying it because even if they go into spring training and they're like, well, actually, no, uh, you, lo- you look terrible, then there's nothing lost at well, all from and, the and of course, because uh, they have a solution. And uh, Josh Donaldson, I think, has made the transition more recently. Yeah. And he turned, Donald- out he, he turned up to be... That's a far better example. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, at least a far more recent example. And Donaldson has been a tremendous third baseman in his own right. He's arguably... Uh, by some perspectives, the American League most valuable player last year. Right. So that's a pretty good uh, thing to accomplish. Yeah. So you have these examples where I think it's a lot, it's very, very hard to look at a catcher and think, okay, I can see that guy playing third base. Because there's like almost nothing in common. But you know they have the arm, and you know that they have no problem blocking balls that are coming at them in all directions and speeds and spins and handednesses. And so... Uh, just based on the precedent, catcher is probably the most difficult position to play in the field. And so if you can go to an easier position, hey, great. And even if you're not a regular, you can probably at least add some flexibility. And there's 
little reason to think Santana should suck, especially given he's been getting reps over the winter. Well, and especially considering, right, that maybe he was not – you said he made improvements, but he was not – he's not necessarily ever been a great catcher, especially like the finer points of catching skills. But maybe – I mean, but we think he's got a good arm, as you mentioned, and uh, he doesn't mind getting – he doesn't mind – he doesn't mind fast things coming at him, we can assume, which is, a, <laughs> yeah, which is I mean, sort of part of third base. Yeah, like the third base is incredibly dangerous because you have things coming at you really fast and you don't get to wear a mask. Santana has not been like a great uh, blocker. He hasn't been super awesome throwing out runners, although he's been fine. Uh, and it helps also that he's played almost a thousand innings of first base, which is not third base, but it's a lot more like third base than playing catcher. And so I think it is a more dramatic-sounding transition on the face of it than I think maybe it really is when you dig into it. But it's still really interesting, and uh, I've I've thought about writing something about it, but I don't remember if we already did that when word first came out. I feel like we did because it's fascinating. Yeah, we, um, uh, if, if you're ever interested, you know, we um, it's not unusual for, for, for us to write something, certainly for me, uh, to have written something and look back on it and say, uh, and so maybe think that, um, it even though the the thinking was sound, the reasoning was sound going into it. Uh, I I would wish it didn't exist on the internet sometimes. Um, <laughs> Mark Hewlett Mark Hewlett yeah. wrote a piece at the beginning of 2012, uh, March. I'm actually looking at it right now, March 23rd, 2012, um, called "Meaningless Spring Stats," the Jan Gomes example about how mm-hmm. even uh, even though Jan Gomes then with Toronto uh, was playing was hitting excellently in uh, uh, in spring training. How one should never, one shouldn't be deceived by spring numbers, and that the chances of Jan Gomes ever succeeding at the major league level were very limited. Um, and uh, again, the thinking is probably sound going into this, uh, and maybe even the sentiment remains, but uh, it doesn't remain specifically with regard to Jan Gomes, because <laughs> it turns out he, he yeah. Okay. Uh, when uh, when Shinsei Chu signed with the Rangers, uh, I think it was Rob Nyer just went around and he was collecting clips from uh, what people thought about the Shinsei Chu trade from the Mariners at the time that it was done. And uh, uh, I don't really want to acknowledge uh, the rest of where I was going with that, but it didn't make a lot of people look real good because <laughs> of what the Mariners actually did was trade a very young, talented outfield prospect from Tacoma for a half of a DH platoon in a year in which they were not good. Uh, and then, of course, they traded a very young, younger middle infield prospect for uh, basically a 40-year-old half of a DH platoon to round things out. And it was a disaster. And looking back, there was absolutely no reason to think that was a good idea, even if Chu was maybe just a fourth outfielder. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff where I think probably everything I've ever written that is a study and deals with facts I wish were wiped from the Internet and I'm better with just the philosophical concepts and and uh, those sorts of meanderings because at the the ultimate point is that we can't we can never predict we can never predict anything like you can't predict there's the whole reason the Twitter account exists is you can't predict baseball and a Fangraphs is this website that's supposed to analyze and predict baseball and it's like when are you guys going to realize that we can't do this Yeah well don't tell don't tell uh, <laughs> listeners slash readers about it though. Don't let them. Well, thankfully, I think nobody's, nobody's listening anymore. No, no, that's so this podcast. That's I think point. they got they're satiated with the volcano talk. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's they came for the volcano talk, and maybe they happened to stay around uh, for some some brief conversation about baseball. Yeah. Uh, we talked about 
Cleveland's third base situation. Let's talk about uh, Milwaukee's first base situation. I think Mike, Mike Petriello actually wrote about this this morning, and I don't know if he knew that um, we were releasing the Zips projections from Milwaukee or not, but we did do that, and it causes doing that causes one to reflect also on the, the Milwaukee first base situation from last year. Anyway, what, what Petriello found was very possibly – um, you know, with some some caveats, uh, but very possibly this is um, uh, the Brewers' first base slot in 2013 was the least productive since the beginning of the 20th century. Um, so I think I so yeah, I have a vague recollection. I remember looking at it somewhere in I think August, and it's like, oh, the Brewers have the worst hitting first baseman oh since ever that since we have did. That's really interesting. <laughs> Well, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, even like, I, I mean, have you just, you know, from your time on Earth, uh, I mean, have you witnessed a situation where a team was willing to um, deploy players like Unieski, Betancourt, and Alex Gonzalez, two players whom, uh, as Petriello notes, were um, were subpar offensively for shortstop, uh, let alone yeah. for his base. Uh, were a team just willingly let that happen? Well, I can have you know, I'm looking at the specific number right now because <laughs> I saw where you were going with this. And what I recall, this is uh, a, a smaller sample, but the 2008 Mariners, they were terrible, right? The, yeah, of course they were because they were the Mariners. The Mariners, yeah. And, only, what, what was yeah. the good – what was the – it was it 01? 2000? Uh, 01 was the amazing year. Okay, yeah. Uh, and 2000, 2002, 2003, they were good years. And then 2007 was a mirage. Anyway – uh, the 2008 Mariners were terrible, and the 2008 Mariners also had Miguel Cairo, which is fitting because Miguel Cairo is terrible, and at that point he was old. And what Miguel Cairo did was start 37 times at first base for that team uh, as a, I can only imagine, 47-year-old utility player uh, in, in 2008. And he started he started the fifth of the games at first base on a team that came in to the season. Obviously, things went awry very quickly, but they came into the season thinking, oh, World Series is what we're going to play in, and we what they did was play Miguel Cairo and also some uh, some Jose Lopez got some first base. Uh, Greg Norton, you might remember as a player I do. in baseball. Yeah. Um, At least Jose Greg Norton Vidro. had a pro, like an offensive profile, didn't he? I'm not I'm not saying that it was that it that it's it's an ideal situation, but at least you could think. Well, he had the advantage of not being able to field, so you would at least say we definitely have to put him at first base. <laughs> maybe that's maybe I, that's uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it's sort of the uh, the antonym of that old catcher quandary, right? Where it's like the the better you are at defense, the worse you are at hitting. It's like, well, we know Greg Norton sucks at defense, so therefore he must be good at hitting because there's no way he could just be on a roster uh, without deserving it. Uh, he obviously has to be good at something. We couldn't have overlooked this all the time. He I actually, looked, I was looking at the. Uh, to be fair, he only had 18 plate appearances. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, I hardly even meant to mention Greg Norton. Although looking at first base, I see a Vidro on Baseball Reference, and there's a seven next to his name, implying he started seven times at first base mm-hmm. for this team. Yeah. But when I first read it, I thought it was a question mark, and I thought that's editorial <laughs> and uh, appropriate <laughs> as well. The um, well, Jose Jose Vidro was a was a Jose Vidro by the end could neither hit nor field, right? I mean, he was he was good at what not- he did have, what he could do, what he could do was frost his tips of his hair. Mm-hmm. And I know this because the one time I've ever sat in the first row behind home plate, I did it that year 
for you, the you, R.A. Dickey You started. frosted your tips, you said? You, you frosted your I, tips. I did not frost my tips, although uh, I think that maybe being that close to Jose Vidro did frost my tips uh-huh. uh, just uh, from the, the chemical. If you, if you know what I mean. And I, I was the closest, you know I mean? yeah. Yeah, yeah, I um, that is yeah. Jose Vidro was uh, that was it wasn't it wasn't great by the end. I believe he started that 2008 season as the DH for the Mariners. <laughs> he sure did. He, yeah, he sure did. did. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, sorry about that. Also, uh, but anyway, Brad Wilkerson though, was on that team. Yeah, right. But uh, of, of note though is that the um, Juan Francisco, I think, if he's in, if he's facing only right-handed pitchers, and then Mark Reynolds. Actually, uh, is not bad. And hey, listen, uh, the Brewers have signed Lyle Overbay uh, just today, I believe. They have. So there Absolutely. you go. Absolutely. I, I mean, was so, going to bring that up. I didn't know if you saw that. So here's a, here's a, here's a thing, right? Is that none of those players I just mentioned are particularly great, but they could probably all lock down replacement level, if nothing else. Yeah. And I mean, if you platoon Reynolds and Francisco, you know exactly what you're going to get. Is you're going to get basically a full-time Juan Francisco or Mark Reynolds because it's the same idea. You just go up there, you swing really hard, you hit dingers. Sometimes you don't hit dingers more of the time, and you don't play defense. And then at the end of the year, you have what Juan Francisco did last year, where he hit 18 dingers and he struck out 138 times. Where that's just exactly what you're going to get, and it's a hell of a lot more interesting than Lyle Overbay because it's not like those players are young, but you know what you're going to get from Overbay, but. That's kind of the problem, I think. <laughs> the team in the That's kind of the problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, so there you go. There's the there's the Milwaukee first base situation uh, after the Cleveland uh, third base situation. Uh, do you mind, real quick, if I ask you a question? Because you would know this better than I. Okay. Uh, about the Brewers' second base situation, because I was talking to uh, Rob Nyer about this the other week. Uh, named Rob. I'm just going to pick it up. Yeah, yeah coffee need. shops. Yeah. yeah. No, Rob Nyer has a whole list, by the way, of coffee shops in Portland that he uh, he rates. He uh, he goes to different coffee shops all the time, yeah. and he rates them for a personal spreadsheet. He has no intention of uh, ever, Sharing. I don't think, doing anything with. Yeah, but it it helps him explore, which I think is a, a noble uh, goal. But it yeah. also means he will never be a regular at a coffee shop, which is uh, nomadic. But uh, anyway, the Brewers situation. Uh, well, what's, situation what, which, I, which one I did you up. meet him at? Can you can you tell me which one you met him at? Yeah, Dragonfly. Where's that? Uh, Where, in the what, northwest. What, up in northwest. It's uh, you. Do you ever know a Saint Honoré, like a French bakery cafe? Is it Whatever. It's like a Thurman and Twenty Fourth or something. Oh yeah. Okay. It's oh over, yeah, because you because you live stars. in the northwest now because you're part of the bourgeois yeah. class. Yeah, I'm part of the class. I'm like. I used to go Thurman. to Crema. So, uh, Crema Crema was the, the cafe I went to most often, which is in the yeah. sort of opposite and, uh, quadrant as you at this point. I recall that you also spent time at the uh, the old Lompoc uh, Red Sox. Right. Brewery. Is it still a, is it still a Red Sox bar? Uh, I don't know. I don't Actually, know I think the new old Lompoc for. isn't even there anymore. They have there is there's something there. sort of a new yeah. There's a Lompoc in my neighborhood now. After there was not. After there was. So something happened, but it's back. Oh yeah, and I see Saint Honoré now too as well. Okay, yeah. I know where you're. I know where you're at. Uh, Second base, second base, second base Brewers. Uh, what Rob, one of the things Rob said to me was, uh, he had never heard of Scooter Gennett. last name. Maybe and Gennett. Gennett. It's Gennett. It's not Gennett. It is Gennett. It's probably with Gennett, this. but I don't know. I actually don't know. I, I could see it as either Scooter Gennett or Scooter Jeanette. 
And Jeanette sounds stupid, but like it's possible because this is a team with Chris Davis with the K and H. So I think it's probably Scooter Gennett, and I should probably know the answer to this. But in my defense, who would have watched the Brewers last who year, like when he was playing? well towards the end of the year? There, there was no reason. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and I actually I don't I don't know the answer to your question. I apologize. Um, All right, next time. It just seemed like it could be up your alley since he's probably not very good. Yeah, but what's uh no, shut <laughs> it. Um, what's what's strange about that team though is the fact that uh, Ricky Weeks is not good anymore. Yeah, um, uh, that was another thing that I'm just apparently just gonna blast Rob on this podcast. But I mentioned like uh oh yeah, so I'm familiar with that Gennett or Jeanette is gonna start for the Brewers because I kind of have to know what's what's going on at the situation at positions for teams and. I mentioned to Rob that, oh yeah, it's weird because he's starting ahead of Ricky Weeks, who's still in baseball, and Rob was, he was florid that Ricky Weeks is still around because he's, he just kind of disappeared after he was quite good. And quite then good, he was not, yeah. And then he had a big, yeah. And not, and not just and good, had, like, like by a fluke, but like good, be, like, he was noted for having excellent, like, physical tools and a very, very quick bat. And, um, he, that, that translated into wins. And then, um, yeah. I mean, there seemed to be, I think there was uh, maybe an, an ankle injury. Um, I mean, he's, he, he has been injury prone, but he had, you know, he had come, uh, come back from some of those injuries. But um, I think it was, he was worth like, you know, like a negative win last year. Yeah, no, he was he was absolutely terrible last year. And the year before, he had like a terrible first half and a, a really good second half. And everybody thought, oh, good, he's back. Well, no, he's not. Right. And now he's 30 or 31. And now the problem also for the Brewers is that they have Ricky Weeks. And, but like somehow every single team in baseball is looking to trade a second baseman, which I, is something I don't understand. But there's so many out there that like nobody is going to, nobody wants to get one. Even though I think the Blue Jays are the only team left that actually kind of needs one. And they have their pick of the litter where the litter is crap but they have the pick of the crap because they have ryan goins as their second baseman and he's a player in baseball but not for long and Mm -hmm. so they need somebody but where the brewers might have once thought oh we can just give them ricky weeks well you can't because they could maybe trade for brandon phillips or dan ugla or nick franklin or any of the second basemen that are out there that don't really have secure jobs is miser as tourist just not an just not an option at this point Oh, he's he's an option, and he's just as good an option as Ryan Goins, which just like with Ryan Over, I love everybody. This is kind of the problem where right. it's like, well, okay, we have these two options in the way that we could technically have infinite options if we just opened the door to the public, but we would like to do better than that. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Last thing I'll ask you: um, this is baseball related, not especially. Um, so we're, we're going to be seeing each other, uh, I guess, within a couple months here, uh, because we'll be in Arizona together. Hold um, on, I'm going to fend myself off. Oh. <laughs> Uh-huh. But, but um, this this is slightly related. Is that um, I was thinking is to sort of uh, I might debut a new hat uh, when I when oh. I come to Phoenix, and uh, so I was yeah. looking at a couple models. But I was I was curious if you now I would not say that uh, it mostly is um, directly related to how to my income or lack thereof. Um, but I don't, so I don't buy like I don't buy like a lot of. I'm usually pretty monogamous, and I, right now I I would do some work with a. Um, the Cleveland, like C cap, right? Just the C cap yeah. that they wear now. That's also. I recall you've had that for some time. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely over a year. And uh, but I was thinking about maybe huh. uh, uh, maybe debuting a new cap. But, but I was curious. I, I I don't know if I'd ever seen you in a cap. Uh, you're a sort of person who you have you have close cropped hair generally, and you also shower 
with some frequency, so maybe you don't use a cap. Uh, you'd, you'd be correct. I used to, when I was growing up, I used to wear a hat all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was not in elementary school, I'd be in a hat. Or if I was not in middle school, I'd be in a hat. And then something happened where there's, I guess, some inverse relationship between wearing a hat and how much hair I still have on my head, which seems backwards, but it is what it is, and I've come to terms with it. And I don't even, I think, own a hat except for like a knit hat I can wear when I'm hiking in the cold. But, uh, if you were looking for a recommendation, what I would say, even though I don't wear hats, is you should just pick up a nice Hillsboro Hops hat from the Hillsboro Hops, and then you can uh, proudly wear around a hop uh, with a mean face that represents a city where next to a city where you used to live. No, I don't know that. But uh, wait, wait a second. Just as I uh, was saying this, I noticed on Twitter that um, that the you you have suggested that the Montgomery Biscuits have the best cap in baseball. I, well, yes, I think the Biscuits absolutely have the best logo uh, in baseball. I think the Hops might have perhaps some sort of greater nostalgic value to you, presuming you've never lived in or near Montgomery. And granted, the Hops haven't existed while you were in Portland, but it's still, it's like a, it's kind of the difference between a kid and like an ex-girlfriend who gets married and has a kid, where it's like, okay, well, so I kind of know, well, that's a bad example. <laughs> the important thing is you get a hat from the Hops. Well, I don't think I'm gonna. Do I was actually thinking of uh, getting a Montreal Royals cap from 1946. Oh, okay, that is a. Uh, well, you can get that. Um, you can get that hat, the Montreal Royals. And what's cool about that is that's the hat that Jackie Robinson wore before he played for the Dodgers. I think that you could probably also get Evan Longoria's cap. It's probably still around. Just wait. Did he play for the Montreal Royals? Oh no, no. His his uh, his raised hat. His raised cap. Just like on his off of his head. The, you don't recall the, the old ad campaign where somebody took Evan Longoria's cap and then he had to track him down because he wanted his cap back. Oh, it was like uh, a commercial. The, Rays, the, the whole, yeah, the subtle thing is that the Rays can't afford to get Evan Longoria another cap, and by the rules, you need to have one. This is not addressing the commercial, but this is this is like the this is you you this read is the the sorted uh, underbelly of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I read. Uh, there were no. I read between the figurative lines. It's like, yeah, he needs. It's like, oh yeah, you have to put money in the vending machine to get a coke with the A's. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you have to get your. You can't stand to have your cap stolen if you play for the Rays. You can't play. It's true, yeah. And he signed that uh, team friendly, team friendly contract. So he yeah. only has millions of dollars as opposed to more millions of dollars. And I'll look he into might, this. I uh, have a very particular. Uh. This Hillsborough hops cap is a little too modern for me. I I, I don't know. It is amusing, yeah. I guess. Why don't you get one? Why don't you get one and you bring and you wear it? What am I going to do with it? Not wear it. You still wear tw- Are you still in your 20s? Yeah. Well, you, you can absolutely wear a hat. Oh, I know what I can do. I can absolutely wear polo shirts. I'm not going to. Yeah, don't wear a polo shirt, but you can wear a cap. Cap, everyone, everyone wears a cap. People wear that's, caps. Well, that's... By definition, untrue. By yeah, this, well, in mean, terms of this very conversation, people who know people who know what's what. The, do you know what's what? I think. Uh, all right, listen. I have to tell you something. First of all, this podcast is about to be over. Second of all, I think it's not. We're recording this on Monday, except uh, as we've been talking, my wife has gone to bed. So my guess is that, um, and we live in one room. <laughs> we live in a, <laughs> a room, so it's not going to go up till Tuesday. Can you deal with that? I I don't really have a choice. Is a lot going to happen between now and tomorrow? 
what I dread is the Tanaka assignment, like 11 at night, some of some night this week, and I, because I only want to deal with that Friday, or maybe during the day, some other day. But I really, if he signs at night, I'm gonna. He's not gonna wait. sign at 11 your time. I don't think. I mean, presumably, he there's really no reason for him to sign until his deadline approaches. Yeah, of course. Because he'll just you wait it out and maximize the offer. Because whatever, he doesn't care about it, you, Baldo Jimenez. But if he signs before that, then I will be upset at him. Okay. All right, I'll, let it, I'll, I'll, I know that now. <laughs> now I know that. Yeah. Very good. Uh, things that will happen between uh, now and when this podcast goes live uh, include perhaps more signings, not unlike the Lyle Overbay acquisition. Okay. Well. And uh, the, the. Oh, here, here we go. Here we go. Breaking news that will no longer be breaking news a day from now. Bruce Levine, Levine yeah. of 670, the score is hearing from industry sources that the Cubs will outbid the field on money and years for Japanese right-hander Masahiro Tanaka. Oh, okay. All right. We've that's, heard this rumor before, but it's still being bandied about. So there you go. That's, Cubs that's out, uh, spin. breaking news. Yeah, that is breaking news as of uh, several hours previous to when you were listening to this podcast. Yeah, maybe I'll put it up in the morning. I mean, it's not like Cameron's going to notice whatever, whichever way. Yeah. Right. I'll do yeah. that. I'll just do that. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and the Blue Jays signed uh, Ricardo Nanita. To a minor league contract. Yeah, they've signed him before. How, okay, that's I don't know how you know that. But I I, I followed actually Ricardo Nanita's uh, career at least the last couple of years uh, pretty carefully. <laughs> that is quite a thing. He's been really good in uh, either the Dominican or Venezuelan winter league the last couple of years. That is a legitimate. I understand. That's information. Realistically, I think this podcast ended 15 minutes ago, so I guess yeah. we should bid each other adieu. Yep. All right. Uh, well, we'll stick around for a second, but say goodbye to the listeners. Goodbye. Bye. That has been uh, Jeff Sullivan. Uh, I have a full-time employee of Fangraphs, mostly full-time employee of Fangraphs. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.